If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And listeners, if you love true crime podcasts, you are going to enjoy this episode. Because today, we're going to be speaking with Bob Gallagher about the nonprofit board's role in preventing fraud and financial mismanagement. Now, I know some folks are like, eh, sounds like a snooze. I promise you, this is not at all. This is actually a topic that every board and every chief executive should be thinking about. Because I got to tell you, Whenever I see financial mismanagement happen, it is bad for the mission, but it also often impacts the lives of chief executives and board members. And of course, Bob and I are going to talk more about that. Listeners, I think you know that we record well in advance. And so we're currently recording this in February. There is a light dusting of snow on the roofs just outside my apartment building. And just so you know, this is this episode is probably not going to air until sometime in June. So literally, we're recording about four months in advance. But I want you to go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and check out the webinars that we're offering this summer. We are doing a ton of webinars this year on everything from board recruitment to staff development to strategic planning, etc. So make sure you go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and check out the webinars that we are offering this summer and this fall. And now it is so my pleasure to introduce Bob Gallagher to you. Bob was with PwC, what we used to call PricewaterhouseCooper, for, gosh, almost three decades. And he led the Southeast Forensic Services Practice at PwC. And here's what that means. The Forensic Services Practice, that's kind of like the detectives or the CSI of the financial world. So if something seems to go have gone wrong, if there's money that's missing or some other issue, you know, you call in a forensics team and literally what they do is they trace the trail and they try to figure out what happened. Was it fraud? Was it waste? Was it just financial mismanagement or negligence? But really try to trace it back, figure out what happened and how to keep it from happening again. 
Now, let me share with you, Bob has a bachelor's degree in economics, and so my heart went pitter-patter a little bit when I read that, in part because I did not discover econ until I was in graduate school. And had I discovered it sooner, I might have actually gotten a graduate degree in economics because, surprisingly, I really seemed to like the math, and I really, really liked the principles behind it. He also has a graduate degree in accounting. And so he takes those two mindsets and puts them to work in doing the forensic accounting. And now, I should say, in doing the consulting that he does with nonprofits around really identifying financial mismanagement, fraud, and helping them get stronger in governance. Hey, Bob, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Dolph. It's great to be here. So I have got what I think is a phenomenal intro question for you. About five or six years ago, I was leading a board retreat. And of course, I was talking about the importance of board attendance and reading your board reports and getting your financials on time. And one board member literally started to get a little bit outraged. And he starts to say, why does, why does all this matter? I'm just here to do good for the organization. Why does all of it matter? Now, I know how I answered the question, but I'm really curious, Bob, how would you answer that question? Well, um, you know, in my experience, um, you know, nonprofit leaders and board members are, you know, extremely honest, dedicated, diligent, um, great stewards of the assets of the organization. But unfortunately, fraud at nonprofits happens more often uh, than, than you would like to think. Uh, it's really not that uncommon. And, um, but the good news is it, it's, there's a lot that can be done by the staff and by the board uh, to mitigate that risk. And the board plays an important role in that. So let's talk about some of the most common types of fraud or financial mismanagement that you've seen at nonprofits. Well, you know, I've seen everything from outright stealing, um, which you know we talk about as fraud in the in the financial world, uh, is is embezzling money, misappropriating assets of the organization. We do also see some financial statement fraud where the financial reports are incorrect, and that's either um, to make the organization look more successful to to donors and to others in the public, um, or just to to make the um, to cover up. Uh, mistakes or shortcomings of management. But then there's also a, a lot of mismanagement that goes on, you know, waste, uh, abuse, um, abusing one's position of authority to, to line one's own pockets or serve their own interests. Unfortunately, we see incompetence uh, in, in financial management of organizations. Oftentimes, organizations don't have the expertise in-house uh, that they need. Um, they may be great at pursuing uh, the mission of the organization, but but not so great at counting the beans. And so I think one of the things that's really important for board members to understand, because I often hear board members say this to me, well, we get an audit every year, so we're not concerned about fraud. But in reality, auditors, while they might cite weaknesses and deficiencies in internal controls, auditors really aren't designed to determine whether or not there's fraud or waste or abuse, are they? They are not. Absolutely not. That's correct. You know, having an audit is is, is very important uh, to the organization for a lot of reasons, um, but it is not designed uh, to detect fraud. I always try to underline this and highlight it to boards when I'm talking to boards about their audit. There's always this paragraph that says, 
the where the auditor says we have taken the financial as presented to us by management and we are not going to speak as to whether or not we think there was fraud and so what are some of the conversations maybe that finance committees or audit committees should be having with their auditor even though the auditor is not there not there and not designed to detect fraud or financial mismanagement well a couple of things i think just having the conversation you know the finance committee or audit committee of the board having a direct line to the auditor in a conversation and relationship is in itself uh, important and it helps ensure that um, the auditor is independent and you know not beholden to, to management and so I think that conversation is important so that the auditor can you know report directly to the audit committee on, on any concerns that they have the, the audit committee should should push the auditor to report to them any observations that they have about things that could be done better. Um, Sometimes it's referred to as the management comment letter, where the auditor will talk about some weaknesses in internal controls that they've observed. They may have a point of view about the um, quality of the the financial uh, staff uh, and whether they're up to the task, you know, given the complexity of the organization or what the demands may be of that job, whether they're, they're up to the task or not. And you know, and I've always felt like that management letter that the auditor issues is such a great tool, such a great governance tool for finance committees, because I think it allows finance committees to say, okay, since we have a fiduciary responsibility, we need to make sure that over the next 12 months, whatever, again, internal control issues are cited are addressed. Well, that's, that's key. The follow-up is the key. Having those recommendations is just the start uh, but I've often seen where that's that's the end of it. The report gets put on a shelf and uh, the finance or audit committee or the board have not held management accountable for addressing those concerns that have been raised. And, and I kind of feel like, and if, you, if, I'm, if I'm wrong about this, please say so. But I kind of feel like if the same weaknesses or deficiencies are cited two years in a row, not only is management not doing its job, but frankly the finance audit committee and board aren't doing their job either. Of course, and that can come back to bite them. Uh, if, if God forbid, there is an issue of fraud or other, other financial misconduct, um, and that becomes, you know, potentially evidence in the case that, hey, you, you knew these weaknesses were there and you didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I'll share with you, you know, I, I was a chief executive for about a dozen years, and I've done a number of interims. And some boards have teased me about this, but I always kind of make a great show when the auditor is meeting with the finance committee or meeting with the full board. I always make a show of saying, I'm going to step out of the room now, and I know that you all need to ask some questions, including whether or not the auditor has any concerns around fraud, waste, or abuse. And I expect you're going to ask it, and then I'd leave the room. And people would be like, Dolph, you're such a drama queen. But I'd say, no, no, really, this is critically important. It, it really is. You know, those conversations aren't aren't easy. They don't come naturally to especially non-financial people that might be on the board. Uh, and so giving them that little push to make sure that that conversation is happening is, 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 is really a great thing for an executive director to do. And so that's one of the things that chief executives should be doing to really proactively engage their board to ensure their board's doing what they're supposed to do. What else should the chief executive be doing? Well, you know, the chief executive needs to understand that, that they have blind spots. They have gaps in their own skill set. And also they, they should want the board to share some of 
some of the responsibility with them for ensuring that the proper procedures and processes and controls are in place. And so the, the executive director or chief executive uh, should be proactively engaging uh, in the, with the board on things like financial policies uh, and controls and ensuring that the board is, is reviewing those policies um, and weighing in and can help, you know, hopefully uh, you have a board with a diverse set of skills and experiences, uh, some of which, um, you know, maybe financial expertise or, um, you know, experiences with other organizations that can really um, supplement uh, your own experience and, um, and, and, and really help you ensure that you've got those uh, policies and procedures in place. I'm so glad to hear you say that because really, and you know, we talk about this all the time in general in the sector, but you know, every board needs a CPA and someone really with financial and accounting expertise, but ideally that person kind of becomes a partner of management. That's right. That's right. You know, I think executive directors, chief executives sometimes need to expect more from their board. You know, their board can, can really help them in a lot of different ways. It's not just about, you know, a high level of oversight or, or helping with the fundraising, all very important, but, you know, board members, you know, accountants have a, have a habit of really, you know, being willing to roll up their sleeves and and dig into the, and and dig into these, these areas and, and help the board, help the help management. And so what are some ways that the board can engage the chief executive? I think the board, first of all, I think the, the board needs to do the work, right? So, you know, the chief executive, um, they're going to have a, a role in driving the board agenda and providing materials to the board and looking to the board for oversight and advice. Do the things that the, the chief executive is asking you to do as a board member. Look, I know board members are volunteers. They're busy executives. But if you're going to be on a board, you know, do the work, read the materials, show up for meetings, engage in the meetings, but also ask hard questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And if something, if you don't understand something, you know, have the courage to speak up and say, hey, this, you know, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. Can you, can you please help me out here? And don't be afraid to do that. And if you don't understand it, I'm sure there are others in the room that don't understand it as well. And, you know, non-financial people can ask great financial questions uh, and, and, and non-financial people are often intimidated by the finances, but, you know, it should be presented to you in a way that, that makes sense to a lay person. And if it doesn't, ask questions. It's interesting you say that. Oftentimes when I'm doing strategic planning projects, we'll do a financial analysis. But when we present that analysis, we pretty much do it all in charts and graphs. Because lay people, you know, non-finance and accounting experts, everyone kind of understands charts and graphs. Line going up, probably good. Line going down, probably bad. One, you know, one, one bar much higher than another bar on a bar chart. You know, okay, there's some difference there. Let's talk about it. Yeah, that's right. I think, uh, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. And that's particularly true with financial information. You know, don't be afraid to ask for information to be presented in a different way. Ask for ask management to provide different financial information that you're not getting 
um, if you think it would be useful to understanding um, what's going on with the organization and, you know, performing that fiduciary duty. And I will say, like, I have worked with some amazing treasurers and finance people who have been so good at doing that, who have done it so gracefully and so diplomatically, where they will say, oh, this is this is really good. The next step in our evolution might be, and then whatever it is, like, you know, oh, we should be talking about days of cash on hand. Maybe that's the next step in our reporting. Is that something you could do by the next board meeting? But again, they would do it so gracefully and so diplomatically that it does not feel like a hammer coming down on you. It feels like really someone with expertise kind of saying, hey, let me help lift you up to where you need to be. That's right. So one of the other questions that I think we've got to explore because, Bob, probably I'd say 10, 20% of the organizations I've worked with, the boards will sometimes say to me that they don't have confidence in the financial statements or in the financial management. What should those boards be doing when they feel that way? Well, the, the board should be discussing that. And, you know, best practice for for boards, as you know, is to to always have an executive session uh, as a standing agenda item, even if you you don't have anything to talk about, but you should always just make it part of the routine so it's not awkward for management and staff to step out of the room and to have that frank conversation in the board executive session. And, you know, it really helps if if ahead of time, if you, you know, if you have a concern about the executive it really helps if, if ahead of time you have had some, some process around the expectations of the chief executive and a periodic performance evaluation process, right? So if you already have that framework, it's, it's much easier, much more natural to have that conversation um, with the chief executive about, look, you know, we have these expectations, as you know, we've talked about this and here's how we think you're doing. So, and, and look, that's a very, can be a very difficult conversation to have, but if you're, you know, if you're doing your job as a board member uh, and meeting the fiduciary duty standard, then you need to be having that conversation. So Bob, what are some of the warning signs that boards should be looking for around financial management? So some, some red flags uh, that, that I often see. The financial information that the board is getting is not timely. It's not timely. It's, uh, it doesn't make sense. It's not well organized. So hold on, so let, me, let me jump in. What's timely? So you get it three months after the close of a month. You get it two months, one month. What's timely? At a board meeting uh, that is after the, the month closed, Management should be able to provide information. I mean, sure, maybe it's preliminary, but the management should be able to provide, you know, budget to actual comparisons, the basic set of financial statements, you know, right after the end of the month. You know, at the end of a year, when you're talking about, you know, year-end adjustments that need to be made and other true-ups that maybe only get done once a year, sure, it's going to take take weeks sometimes to close the books and to get that all cleaned up. But information, you know, should be timely and pretty readily available. So, and I just want to make sure that, you know, we're clear about what your expectation is then. So as an example, if you've got a board meeting on the 12th day of the month, that is reasonable that management can produce preliminary draft financial statements for that board meeting. Yes. 
Just wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. So timely information, information that, that that is organized and makes sense. If management is not able to answer questions, that can be a red flag. You know, they might not have all the information at their fingertips. They may need to get get back to the board on certain questions. But if management really struggles to answer questions, that's a red flag. If the board asks for additional information, as we talked about earlier, asking for things presented in a different way, different information being presented, and management really struggles to do that, you know, that that could be a red flag. You know, if there are, you know, look for those those trends. You know, what, what are the trends in, in the organization? Are management continuing to, to miss the budget, uh, either in you know, on the revenue side or in expenses? Uh, and can't explain that, um, and that's a red flag as well. And so let's talk about penalty cards. And, you know, we've talked about the red flags, but as I think about penalty cards, those are the things that when they happen, the board or finance committee needs to say to management, all things stop until we get an answer on this. I, I got some ideas about what penalty cards are, but what do you think warrant a penalty card? Not being able to pay the bills on time. You know, I have to share with you, that's exactly what I was thinking. Is management, you miss a payroll, the board needs to shut everything down. I'm not saying you shut the organization down, but needs to say to management, your number one job is to explain to us why this happened, and we need to see your cash flow projections, et cetera. Well, absolutely. I mean, miss, missing payroll is, is the huge um, red flag. I mean, that's like a big red blanket that you can wrap around you. You know, but leading up to that, you know, payroll is the last thing that you're probably going to miss. You know, you may, there may be other bills that you have to pay that you're putting off so that you don't miss payroll. Uh, and having some insight into that can be an early red flag. And just to help our listeners who maybe are not financial professionals, so I think what you're saying is the board needs to be looking at the accounts payable, or the finance committee needs to be looking at the accounts payable aging, which says, okay, you have these number of bills that are 30 days old and these that are 60 and 90, et cetera. That, that's right. So we're talking now about the balance sheet. So, you know, the income statement or the profit and loss statement is going to show, you know, how's the revenue coming in? You know, what are the expenses? Uh, how are the expenses tracking? But the balance sheet is going to show you, you know, do you have payables? They're not getting paid. Um, do you have receivables from, from donors uh, and grant receivables that aren't, that aren't getting collected? Uh, what might that be an indication of? And so what else might be penalty cards where the board just have to say, now let's, let's stop until we figure this out. Well, related to payroll are the payroll taxes, um, right? The organization is re responsible for paying payroll taxes to the government. Those may be the, the organization's share of those payroll taxes or, or the amounts that they're withholding from the, on behalf of the employees to pay. And if there's a notice of, of non-payment of those, that is a huge problem, a huge problem uh, for the organization and for the board members, frankly, um, because they ultimately could be responsible uh, for those unpaid payroll taxes. And I am so glad that you said that because I have seen the IRS hold board members responsible to write personal checks to pay the payroll taxes when the organization has no money. It's a worst case scenario, but as you said, it, it happens. And that is that is not where you want to be as a board member. Mm -hmm. And and it's interesting because 
board members often think, oh, well, because I'm a volunteer, I'm immune from that. That's not the case. And board members will also sometimes think, oh, our DNO insurance will cover that. And you know, probably doesn't. So one of the one of the other penalty box things that I think about or penalty card things that I think about is if as an organization you can't complete an audit, your annual audit within a certain period of time. And you know, some audits are more complex than others and sometimes you have a leadership transition in your finance office or your chief executive. But you know, but whatever whatever that is, maybe what do you think that is? 6 months, 8 months, like if you get x number of months into the next fiscal year and there's no audit where should the board be concerned? Well, I, I hate to put a specific time frame on it because you know nonprofit organizations vary widely in their size and complexity, and so there could be you know good reasons why for some organizations it it takes longer, and it's also a function of the you know the auditors and their level of attention and what else they have on their plate in terms of audits they're trying to complete. So I hesitate to put a specific, you know, rule of thumb out there. I think it's more important getting back to the role of the the board and and the board's finance committee, the treasurer, the audit committee, whatever the the governance arm is, to have that open dialogue with the auditors, to have that open dialogue with management about how's the audit going? You know, what's the plan for the audit? What's the expectation for the auditors going in? And if the plan going in is, you know, the auditor is going to be here in in March and they expect to be doing field work for a week and then they expect to be able to issue draft reports within a month, then you've got an expectation to then judge any delay against. And then you can also be having that conversation with the auditors of, hey, how's it going? And, and so with that expectation that's, that's specific to the organization, you can then start to understand what, what a delay, when there might be a delay and when to be concerned. So I think what I hear you saying is if there seems like there's a delay as a finance committee, someone on the committee needs to reach out to the auditor and have that conversation and not right. have it go through management. Exactly. I mean, you can start with management and get management's perspective on what's going on, but reach out to the auditor as well if, you, if you're becoming concerned. So the one thing I'm going to kind of push back on a little bit, and feel free to push right back, Bob, but um, the one thing I'm going to push back on is, you know, the IRS will only provide so many extensions on the 990. And most organizations have to complete their audit in order to, to submit their 990. <laughs> well, that that's exactly right. So if you're starting to miss those those regulatory compliance deadlines, that is, that is a red flag. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess I was speaking more to, you know, you, before you get to that point, you could still have a delay that could be a red flag. You know, if the audit was expected to be completed by X date, maybe you're not going to be up against those filings until X plus a certain number of months. But, but those delays... It could still be red flags. Right, right. And so I, I, I think then it sounds like maybe that's the other penalty card then is if you miss regulatory deadlines, whether that's your 990 or, you know, if you have a 401k plan that has to have a, so I'm going to nerd out here, has to have a form 5500, which is due every year. And by the way, steep, steep fines for that if you don't submit it. But if you miss that, like, yeah, that's where the board needs to be really concerned. Well, yeah, and that's a great segue into another point I wanted to make about what the board can be doing. You know, the, the board should be doing a risk assessment in, in, in terms of what are those 
risks that we we have, and part of that risk assessment would be those compliance deadlines, right? So do we have a, a deadline for the 401k? Do we have any grantors, um, foundations, uh, government funders that have deadlines for when you know the audit needs to be done and provided to them? Um, when's the 990 due? Do we, do we have debt with the bank? And are there any covenants uh, around um, timeliness of financial statements and audits? Oh my gosh, that is such a great idea for organizations and boards to do those risk assessments. I love it. Um, Bob, you know, every episode we ask an off the map question and I gotta make sure I ask you this one because I've really discovered some incredible things about you. And so it was kind of tough for me to figure out what the off the map question was gonna be about. But I understand that you played a varsity sport at a D2 school that's one that most people have not played. So it's not football, basketball, tennis, et cetera. Tell us about it. Uh, so I was an alpine ski racer. I grew up in Vermont. And, you know, growing up in Vermont, you know, I, there, there are stereotypes about Vermont that, that, that don't fit. I wasn't, you know, didn't, wasn't a dairy farmer and didn't milk cows and make cheese. But growing up in Vermont, you're either a ski racer or a hockey player, generally. And I was a ski racer. Started competing when I was about seven and competed right up through the collegiate level. And, you know, that was, that was my passion uh, and, and uh, my competitive sport growing up. That's awesome. And I think you made what might be an unusual decision for a lot of people. A lot of people go, if they're that far north, go south for college. I think you went north. Aren't, aren't you a Colby mule? I, I am a Colby mule. It, Colby is more or less due east from uh, Burlington, Vermont, where I grew up. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, very, very, very few people uh, went south to get to Waterville, Maine. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. And listeners, if you heard, hey, every board needs to do a risk assessment and wondered, how do I do that? You should reach out to Bob Gallagher and you can find him at GallagherAdvisory.com. Let me share with you that when you go to his website, you can find out a lot more about how he works with nonprofits like yours, mission-driven organizations to have a much greater financial effectiveness. And you can also find out how to reach out to him. He is open and happy to have a call to discuss your situation, whether it's, hey, Bob, how do we do a risk assessment? Or, hey, Bob, you talked about these red flags and penalty cards, and I need to talk to you about a very specific situation. So he is open and willing to have that conversation with you. And you can also find him on LinkedIn. Of course, that's a long URL to get to him, so we're gonna link that in our show notes, along with his URL, gallagheradvisory.com. Hey, Bob, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, Dolph. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So listeners, you know, you can always go to our show notes at successfulnonprofits.com. And there you can get the links to everything that we talked about today. And by the way, I actually was not familiar with uh, intercollegiate alpine skiing. So we might even link to Colby's website um, to kind of show what sports they've got, because apparently they have some real cold weather sports. And if you enjoyed this episode today, or if you didn't enjoy it, but you found it useful, there are three more episodes I want you to think about. The first is episode 117 with Kate Hayes, From Recruitment to Recommitment, Building the Board You Need. 
The second is episode 141. It is Always Someone You Trust with Tiffany Couch. She wrote the book, The Thief in My Company, also a forensic accountant, an off-the-chain great book, and probably one of my favorite conversations over the last 200-plus episodes. And then finally, episode 190, Your Three Legal Duties as a Nonprofit Board Member with Bruce Hopkins. Because obviously, a big part of those legal duties is making sure that you are watching the books. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And, you know, I always got to tell you the disclaimer. I know we talked about accounting a little bit today, but I'm not an accountant nor an attorney. And neither I nor the Goldenberg Group or our guest today are here to provide legal, accounting, or other advice. If you find yourself in need of legal, accounting, or financial advice, I suggest that you reach out to a credentialed, qualified person. Have that conversation with them. If you need referrals, hey, hit me up. I'm always happy to share with you some great professionals that are doing legal work and accounting work that can work with you.